Okay, Matthew 24, beginning in verse uh, 38. Please stand together with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read. Jesus speaking says, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Thank you. You may be seated. So today we're going to be looking at some history. Looking at some history, how Noah was an historic person, how the flood was actually an historic event. But speaking of history, there was a father who was looking at his son's U.S. history test, and he's disappointed in the bad grade that he got on the test. And the father said, back when I was your age in school, I knew all the presidents plus all the states and their capitals. His son replied, yeah, Dad, but back when you were in school, there was just one president and only 13 states. Let's look this morning at be ready, be ready. Again, looking at history. As we see here, Jesus obviously here recognized the flood as an historical event, and he recognized Noah as an historical person. Now, by the way, this is not an isolated biblical reference to Noah and the flood. You can look these up on your own, but Moses mentions it in Genesis, starting in Genesis chapter 6. The writer of uh, 1 Chronicles, in 1 Chronicles 1 and verse 4, he mentions it. Isaiah 54, 9 mentions it. Ezekiel 14 mentions it. Jesus not only here, but elsewhere mentions it. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11, 7. Uh, Peter uh, in 1 Peter 3, 20 and 2 Peter 2, 5. Again, this is not an isolated reference to Noah and the flood. It's throughout scriptures, Old and New Testament, Noah, an historical person, and the flood, an historical event. Well, if, there's, if this was historical, if he was historical, the event was historical, there must be some proof, right? Is there any proof? Well, yes, first of all, there's biblical proof. And let me just stop and say that's all I need. If the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. So the fact that the Bible says it, there's biblical proof, I believe it. But maybe you want something more. Well, there is some physical proof of Noah's Ark and the flood as well. For instance, how about the worldwide distribution of fossils? We find fossils all over the world. Not just in certain places, but all over the world. And we know that fossils are formed by quick burial. You don't get a fossil over the slow process of decay. Why? Uh, first of all, they're scavengers. There's other animals that will come and eat that animal that had died, plus natural decay. And so fossils are formed by a quick burial. It's interesting, too, that scientists still today find marine fossils on mountaintops. Now, how in the world do you get marine animals on a mountaintop? Well, because those mountaintops were covered one day by a global flood. Now, most scientists agree that floods make fossils. There might be a few out there, a little strange, but they say, you know, you need a flood to make fossils. They just don't buy the biblical account. They don't buy what the Bible says, that there was this global flood all over the whole earth. Uh, they don't buy that, but they say, well, the way you get fossils, the best way is through a flood. Again, they don't accept a worldwide flood because then they'd have to agree with the Bible, and scientists certainly don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. I think it's interesting, too, that scientists believe there was water on Mars, even though there's none now. They haven't discovered one drop of water on Mars. Yet they believe it was covered in water. And yet Earth was covered in water with plenty of evidence, and they don't believe. That's how ridiculous they are. They're looking at a dry planet saying, we know there was water there. They look at a wet planet and say, no, never, never happened here. Ridiculous, ridiculous. But that's where they are. Not only that, the physical proof of the fossils and so on, but something is on Mount Ararat in Turkey. I'm not going to say what it is. Something is on Mount Ararat in Turkey. 
Now, pilots sighted this object from their jets as they flew over, but a man named Ferdinand Navarra, he found and brought back a piece of timber from this site uh, twice, actually, once in 1955 and once in 1969. This timber was found to be hand-hewn, and secular scientists dated this timber to be about 5,000 years old. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, Ferdinand Navarra went up on Mount Ararat. He brought back a piece of wood. There are no trees on Ararat. There's not even one tree on Ararat. So if he got that piece of wood from Mount Ararat, it wasn't from a tree. I wonder where it was from. Maybe it was from this strange-shaped thing I'm showing you a picture of that looks an awful like a big boat. Not only is there biblical proof, not only is there physical proof, but there is cultural proof that the flood happened. In fact, the flood story is repeated in over 200 cultural stories worldwide. In Egypt, that covers the Middle East. In Hawaii, that covers the South Pacific. The Chinese, that covers the Far East. Celtics in Europe have a story. Eskimos and Indians, that covers North America. The Aztecs, the Incas, that covers South America. And even in Australia, all of these cultures have a story about a flood. Now, it's not exactly what we read in Genesis. Genesis is the absolute truth. But these other cultures have flood stories. And what that tells us, this is evidence that it actually occurred because all people on earth used to be in one area. And then at Babel, they got dispersed. When God changed their languages, they got dispersed all over the world. So they took the story with them. And as they told the story and told the story and told the story, it changed. It it became different. The only story that remained true was the one in Genesis beginning in chapter 6. Here's another interesting story about that. All these other accounts from all over the world, they all have the ark landing somewhere locally. So the Hawaiians have their boat land locally there in Hawaii. The Incas have their their boat land somewhere there in South America. Everybody has their ark landing local. However, the Hebrew account chooses the mountains of Ararat according to Genesis chapter 8 and verse 4. And the Hebrews were not familiar with Ararat. They didn't know anything about it. So why would they include that in their story if they're just making it up? Everybody else had the ark land in their neighborhood. The Hebrews have the ark landing somewhere they didn't know anything about. And one more thing. Of all these flood stories, scientists, creation scientists, have actually rebuilt the boats as described in these different accounts. And of all the boats from all the stories, only one boat actually floats. And that's the one in Genesis chapter 6. None of the other boats float. It was all just made up. It was as the story got told, got told, got told, got told, it changed. The truth is in the Word of God. And that boat floats. If you want to believe, but you just can't seem to break with so-called science, I want to issue an invitation. I did this for you two years ago. I want you to visit Noah's Ark in Williamstown, Kentucky. There are people there who have rebuilt the ark. You can actually go to the ark and go on the ark and see it. It's a, it's a, it's a group called Answers in Genesis. And they have rebuilt the ark. I've been to it several times. I've taken my family to it. In fact, two years ago when I challenged you to go see the ark, I took the challenge myself and we took a trip. Carl went with us. And Carl, we, we waited in line, but once we got in the ark, he was in a, like one of these powered wheelchairs, and he starts going up the ramp to actually get into the ark where the display is, and he stopped, and I thought something was wrong. He said, Gary, thank you so much for bringing me here. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. It's this huge boat built to the specifications 
in Genesis beginning in chapter 6. But once you get into the ark, they have filled the ark with displays addressing biology, chronology, climatology, geology, and theology. I challenge you, I encourage you, especially if you're on that, you say, well, I want to believe the Bible, but I just don't know. I'm, I'm a scientist uh, by nature, and I just I have to have all the facts and figures. Go to the ark. They will answer your every scientific question. And you will leave there, if you weren't going in, you will leave there saying, I believe God, I believe His Word, the Bible is true. And so we see history. History. Jesus recognized Noah as an historical person. Jesus recognized the flood as an historical event. But secondly, I want us to look at tragedy. It says here in the verse that I read that the flood took them all away. The flood took them all away. Everyone on earth died except for eight people. And that would be Noah and his family. Noah and his wife, and he had three sons and and their wives. Eight people, only eight, everybody else died in the flood. Not only did every living person, but every living thing on earth died except for what was on the ark. Now, by God's command, Noah preserved two of every animal. That's Noah's six, uh, Noah, Genesis 6.19. He preserved two of every animal. A lot of people don't know this. When you read Genesis 7 and verse 2, Noah also preserved seven of certain other animals. And it's a good thing he did that. You know why? Because the first thing Noah did when he got off the boat is he sacrificed an animal to God. Now, could you see what would happen if he only had two of everything and you sacrifice one? Then you've got extinction. So, Noah saves two of every animal, seven of certain other animals. Beyond that, every living person died, every living thing died in the flood. And by the way, this flood is what formed most of the fossils we find today. This global flood is what formed most of the fossils we find today. Now, again, scientists will tell you, well, you need a flood to get fossils. That's the best way. But what they say is, well, there was a local flood here and 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 a local flood. There wasn't some big flood. No, 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 no. Just have a bunch of little floods that all happened at the same time. Give me a break. Read the Word of God. The truth is right there. But anyway, it was a tragedy. The flood, flood took all these people away. Now, the people had been warned, but number one, they didn't believe. And number two, they were too busy. In fact, look in verse 38. For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They were just too busy eating, too busy drinking, too busy getting married. They didn't believe the warning and they were too busy. And so they were taken all away. What a tragedy. And let me tell you this, that Noah and the ark is not really a nice children's story. Oh, I know we see Noah and the ark and it's in nurseries, probably in our nursery here, and sometimes there's borders around the room and so on. And you say, wow, isn't that cute, Noah and all the animals? It's really not a nice children's story because the true story of Noah's ark is full of death and destruction and it teaches the certainty and reality of God's judgment. There is a point at which God says, you know, I've had it up to here, and then he acts in judgment. And that's what Noah's ark is really all about. And so God sent the flood to punish sin, but... He provided an escape. What was the escape? The ark. This ark that Noah built by being obedient to God. And anybody that was believed and anybody that wasn't too busy, they could get on that ark and be saved. And so God says, I'm wiping everybody out, but I will provide you an escape. Get on the boat and you'll be saved. In the same way, God has prepared hell to punish sin. But God has also provided an escape. 
And that escape is His Son, Jesus Christ. When we believe in Jesus, we believe He died on the cross to pay for our sins. We believe that He was buried for our sins. And the third day, He rose again from the dead. This is our one and only escape from hell. And so God says, I'm going to judge hell. But let me make provide you an escape. And the only escape is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And while God sent the flood to punish sin, He also sent a promise to never repeat the flood. He also sent a promise, I will never again destroy the earth by water. And then He gives us the rainbow. And so let's look at that. Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. He says, I do set my bow, rainbow, in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And so God issues this promise. He says, I'm never going to have another global flood. He didn't say there'll never be a flood. Oh, we know there's local floods, okay? So there, he didn't say there'll never be a flood. He said, I'm never going to do a global flood and destroy all the animals and people again. That's His promise. We know there's other natural disasters where people and animals die as well. And let me be quite frank right now about the rainbow. I don't care what people think it is today. I want you to know the rainbow is not a symbol of man's perversion. It is a symbol of God's promise. It has become a symbol of man's perversion. It is not. That is not what it ever was and that's not what it ever will be. It is not a symbol of man's perversion. It is a sign of God's promise. He's never going to destroy this earth by water ever again. But like I told the children, He will destroy it by fire at some point in the future. So, we've seen history. Noah, a historic person. The flood, an historic event. We see tragedy. Everybody got swept away except for the eight on the ark and, of course, the animals. Thirdly, I want us to look at suddenly... Noah had preached a warning for 120 years. The whole time he's building the ark, he's preaching. He's called a preacher of righteousness in the New Testament. He is telling people, hey, the flood's coming, the flood's coming. You better get ready. You better get prepared to get on the boat. Now, it was kind of hard to believe Noah, and let me tell you why. Up to that point, it had never rained on earth before. And so Noah's out there while he's building, he's preaching. He's saying, hey, listen, the rain is coming. And people are like, what's rain? He's like, well, yeah, water is going to come from the sky, you know. And they're like, no, we don't know. It had never rained before. You might say, well, that made it really hard for Noah to preach. Well, yeah, maybe so, but Noah believed. And Noah's family believed. You know why? Because God told him. And when God says something, you believe it. Anyway, for 120 years, Noah was preaching this warning. Genesis 6.3 tells us that. 2 Peter 2.5 tells us. But the day Noah entered the ark, if you go back and read the text that I started with this morning, the day Noah entered the ark, the flood came. Just like that. And Jesus uses this idea of Noah and the flood to talk about His return. His return is going to be the same way. Prophets and preachers have warned for 2,000 years, Jesus is coming back. Get ready. Not 120 years like Noah. Over 2,000 years. Jesus is coming back. And I believe that once the last elect is saved, Jesus will return. Now, I believe that. God knows who's going to be saved and who isn't. And when the last person is saved, I believe that's when Jesus is coming back. But notice from our text that once Noah entered the ark, it was too late to be saved. 
Once Noah got on the ark, I think he was the last one. So all the animals got on and his family got on. And I'm sure he was still there, you know, on the ramp saying, Come on, people, come on. They were too busy. They didn't believe. And once Noah got on, it was too late. You know why? Because God shut the door. Genesis 7.16 says God shut the door. It doesn't say Noah shut the door. It says God shut the door. And when God shuts something, nobody's going to open it. If God opens something, nobody's going to shut it. God shut the door. You couldn't be saved. Now God had waited patiently. 120 years He waited patiently. But God shut the door permanently. And the same is true when Jesus returns. It'll be too late to be saved. Once you see him in the class, say, oh, oh, there he is. Oh, now I believe. Oh, that's right. I heard that preacher. I heard uh, somebody in my Sunday school class. That's oh, now I believe. Too late. Too late. Once Jesus returns, it'll be too late to be saved. In fact, he talks about that. Look down in verse 40. He said, then two shall be in the field. The one shall be taken. The other left. Verse 41, two women shall be grinding at the bill. The one shall be taken. The other left. And so these people are going around their, going about their daily lives. Uh, two guys farming out in the field. Uh, two ladies grinding at the mill. One is taken, the other left. Just like that. Once Jesus returns, it will be too late to be saved. God has waited patiently. Not 120 years. Over 2,000 years. God has waited patiently. But He will act permanently upon Jesus' return. That is why we must be ready now. You and I must be ready now. If He returns today. Is Jesus coming back today? I don't know. I hope so. I'm ready if He does. Are you? But even if He doesn't return today, what if we die before He returns? We've got to be ready today. That's why the Bible says, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. You've got to be ready now. And the only way to be ready is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, that He was buried for your sins, and He rose again the third day. This is the one and only way to be ready for Jesus' return. This is the one and only way to be ready if you die before He comes back, only by grace through faith in Him. You say, well, Brother Gary, that sounds really good. So why don't you tell me, when is Jesus coming back? I'd like to know. I'd like to put it on my calendar. When's He coming back? Well, we don't know when Jesus is coming. In fact, this may shock you. Look in verse 36. Jesus didn't even know when He was coming back. So He's been talking about His return all through chapter 24. And in verse 36, He says, But of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, only My Father. And so Jesus is admitting in His self-limited state, being God in the flesh, He purposely limited Himself to become one of us. There were things He couldn't do. There were things He didn't know. And so their disciples are saying, Well, when are you coming back? He hadn't even left yet. When are you coming back? He said, I don't know. But guess what? He knows now. He knows now. He has known ever since He ascended into heaven. Because when He got to heaven, He was back to what He had been prior to coming to earth. And so He has full knowledge. And so while He didn't know in this moment when He was coming back, as soon as He got back to heaven, He knew. It is a date on the calendar. He is coming back. We don't know when He's coming. But we know He's coming. How do we know He's coming? Well, first of all, Jesus said so. Look in verse 44. Therefore be ye ready, for in such an hour you think not, the Son of Man comes. So, He said He's coming. 
But he's not the only one. The Apostle Paul said so. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So Jesus said so. Paul said so. The writer of Hebrews said so in Hebrews 9.28. Peter said so on Pentecost in Acts chapter 3, and also in the letter he wrote in 1 Peter 1, 5 to 7. Jude said so in verse 14. John said so in Revelation 1, 7. It's all over the Bible. So we're not just taking Jesus' word for it. That would be enough. But Jesus said it. All these others said it. All we know is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And I want us to look at Jesus' last words. Jesus' last words. I want to invite everybody to turn in your Bibles if you haven't. Go back to the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation. And once you get to Revelation, I want you to go to the last chapter, which is chapter 22. And I want us to look at some of Jesus' last words. So the last book of the Bible, the last chapter, and some of his last, the last words. And I think the reason God did this, you know, some people love to read books, and some people are like, well, I'm so busy. So they just read like the first chapter and the last chapter of a book, and they try to figure out what happened in between. I think God knew we'd do the same thing with the Bible. And so he starts with Genesis and puts a bunch of good stuff in Genesis, a bunch of foundational stuff in Genesis. And then he skips clear to the back and puts a bunch of good stuff there so that if people don't read the middle, they're still getting the beginning and the end. So again, Jesus' last words. Last book of the Bible. Last chapter of the Bible. The last verses. Jesus repeats himself three times. Look what he says in verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. And in verse 12, and behold, I come quickly. And in verse 20, surely I come quickly. Now catch that. Last book of the Bible. Last chapter of the Bible. Three times Jesus repeats himself. I'm coming quickly. Now quickly, I'll give you a quick grammar lesson. Quickly is an adverb. And adverbs answer the question, how? And adverbs answer the question, when? And the way quickly is used here, it does both. First of all, quickly answers how Jesus is coming back. He's coming back quickly, meaning he won't be here and then he'll be here like that. It's not like uh, we have, you know, astrologers are looking, well, we see something bright and it's coming and it's about a month away and then they tell you, well, it's about three weeks away, well, it's about a week away, well, it's almost here. Not like that. Jesus is not here. Boom, he's here. He's coming quickly. That means you don't have time to prepare. You don't wait till you see him and say, oh, I now I believe he's coming quickly. But remember, the adverb also answers the question, when? Jesus is coming quickly. You say, Brother Gary, you said earlier that Jesus uh, has been gone for like 2,000 years. That doesn't sound very quick to me. What if you made instant oatmeal and it took 2,000 years? You wouldn't think that was very instant, would you? Well, Jesus has been gone for over 2,000 years from our perspective. But we need to see things from the divine perspective. Because from his perspective, he's only been gone a couple of days. Let's look here at 2 Peter 3.8. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So from our perspective, Jesus has been gone 2,000 years. From his perspective, he's been gone two days. So today is Sunday. Two days ago was Friday. You probably remember what you wore on Friday. You probably remember uh, what you ate on Friday. You probably remember uh, who you talked to on Friday. That's still fresh in your memory. It's only been two days ago. Well, from God's perspective, He only left two days ago. 
And so what if he waits two more days? Or maybe seven is a number of perfection in the Bible and completeness. What if he waits another seven days, a whole week? To us, that'd be 7,000 years. To him, just one week. So when you look at these things where Jesus says, I'm coming back soon, I'm coming back quickly, you got to understand it from the divine perspective. He's only been gone a couple days. Be patient. Be patient. So this morning we looked at history. Jesus certainly recognized Noah as an historical person. He recognized the flood as an historical event. There's plenty of evidence, plenty of scientific evidence to back up Noah and the flood. I don't need it. I like it, but I don't need it. Maybe you need it. Go to the ark and see for yourself. They'll answer every single scientific question you have about Noah and the ark and plus a whole bunch more stuff. And if you're not saved, the very last, when you walk, when you go through the, th- the exhibit, the last thing they do is tell you how to be saved, how to receive Christ as your Savior. So it's worth your while. Go to the ark anyway. But if you need it, if you need it, you're just like, I, I want to believe, I just can't, I need some facts. They got them all. Secondly, we looked at tragedy. Everybody got wiped out, except for those eight that were on the ark and then the various animals, two of every kind and seven of some others. Everything else got wiped out. It was tragic. But remember, it didn't have to happen because God made a way of escape through the ark. Now, nobody took the escape, but He provided it. All they needed to do was get on board. So we looked at the history, the tragedy, and finally, suddenly... Yes, Noah had warned everybody for 120 years, but once he got on the ark, God closed the door, that was it. You're going to die in the flood. There's no way out. And the same is true, Jesus says, when he returns. Once you see him, it's too late. You need to be ready now. You need to be ready today. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior, you've never trusted Him that He died to pay for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day for you, Receive Him. Believe Him now. Because He may come back today. He may come back before we're done with this service. I don't know. Be ready. Be ready. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're having some doubts about, I don't know about Noah, that's kind of far-fetched, and some boat floating around, and a flood on the whole earth, I'm not so sure. Well, believe when God says it, believe it. But if you need some help, go to the ark. Go to the ark. They'll answer all your questions. And then finally we looked at suddenly. Suddenly. You don't wait till you see Jesus then believe. It's too late. You receive Him now. Because He is coming quickly. Remember, last book of the Bible, last chapter, three times He repeats Himself. I'm coming quickly. He's only been gone since Friday. Be patient. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is true because it comes from You and You are true. Lord, if we're having trouble believing, give us grace and faith to believe. If there's anybody who needs to receive Christ as Savior, give them grace and faith to believe right here, right now. Not later, now, today. And for those of us who do believe in You, May we believe in all of your word, including Noah and the flood. Jesus believed it. Why shouldn't we? And we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. I'll be here at the front to receive.